Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Managing wealth can be a very intimidating process. My guest today turns anxiety into empowerment by working to develop a set of financial goals and a game plan to help her clients achieve what they want. My guest today is Abby Large. She met her husband while working at a firm now called Lennox Advisor, a firm he co-founded to provide insurance, retirement planning, business succession planning, and generational planning to high net worth clients. As a dedicated professional whose drive is to put her client's best interests first, and with nearly 30 years of experience, Abby is highly skilled in financial services, estate planning, and asset management solutions. As a senior VP at Lennox Advisors, she works with corporate clients to structure strategic employee benefits as well as executive carve-out programs. But what's unique about Abby is she passionately advocates for families and individuals dealing with difficult financial realities. She navigated some financial complexities of her own when caring for her father through his battle with pancreatic cancer. Cancer, sorry. Abby faced the same challenges she regularly helps others overcome and gained a unique appreciation for the importance of being supported through these challenging times with grace and dignity. She believes that when money is removed from the equation, people can focus on what truly matters, which is love and family. Abby's insightful empathy has made her a valuable resource to her clients in times of need. Abby, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate being here. So where do we start with all this? So much goes on with just developing a client-first mentality. And uh, the last thing people probably want to talk about is insurance products and money and all those nitty-gritty things. But it sounds like your perspective is very holistic and comes from a a people-first place, really trying to understand your clients and their relationship to their family members, to money, um, so tell us a little bit about where you begin when you start working with a client maybe, or, um, or, you know, how your, 
how you came to be the person you are today. Uh, well, that, that's that's a that's a loaded question on that last that last bit. But I will say that um, I've never seen an application that had a question that asked, "Do you like insurance?" But I have known for a fact that people love what it does, right? And what it does is it provides tax-free dollars in the worst moments of people's lives when they need it the most. And so I think that's really important. But to answer your question with regard to the relationship of money, I find that is a extremely interesting question to ask people who are ready and willing to get started on a financial plan. And I think the first step in helping anybody is to figure out how they feel about certain things. Obviously there's a risk, you know, a risk profile that you have to go through. Um, but I go a little deeper and I kind of ask, what was your relationship when you were a kid with your parents with money? And I just, I, I really am, I'm a deep listener. So I just sort of just shut my mouth and let them go. And the differences that you hear in their experiences that they've had growing up and their experiences they've had with handling money, appreciating money, respecting money, understanding money, how it works, the velocity of money, they're so it could be polar opposite. And oftentimes the articulation of the feeling and the experiences that each other hear are sometimes for the first time. So there's very deep conversations that I have to determine the risk profile, but most importantly, really diving in deep to figure out how I could make sure, um, we have the right game plan so that they can achieve what they want. Would you be able to say that and make, maybe make some generalizations around people's relationship with money from your experience or in talking to your clients, do you find that there are certain consistent themes in people's relationship with the money? Like the answers that you get, are they, like, what are the things that you maybe hear commonly sure. said by people? I hear um, one person grew up extremely wealthy, private, plain wealthy, mm -hmm. and um, father went bankrupt, and mm -hmm. she lived through that. And so when she thinks of money, she kind of hoards it a bit and is worried about losing it. But now I understand the why. Right. Right. So it, people's stories get in the way of their uh, evolving as, as people. I mean, I can think yeah. of a couple of clients that I have that I work with. Uh, they keep the money very close to the uh, to the family. They don't let outsiders professionally manage the money. Um, they don't let uh, have a controller who has access to the, the corporate uh, checkbook. And it's because they have seen embezzlement 
um, from families, from their prior families' businesses. And so that fear holds them back. That is also another example of an experience that happened that creates a behavior that translates into a, a financial behavior, right? And so what I want to know when I'm speaking to people is not necessarily who you are, but why you are. Why are you irritated if someone says something about whatever and like what what are the triggers? I think it's really important to understand that and and because I'm building a team. That team is is my client with me and we have to trust each other. We have to be open with each other so that I'm able to do the best job that I, I can do. It's like going to a general practitioner or a, you know, a mm-hmm. your cardiologist or your doctor. They want to know every interview. Right. Right. In order to make recommendations. And that's I I take it I take it as seriously. So. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with you on the cardiologist, but I I think too many doctors just practice medicine and they don't look at the holistic view. And as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about and understanding more about your practice and what you do, you're almost filling a role that maybe a therapist uh, uh, could be or should be, you know, or a personal development coach or a life coach. But the these issues are just not brought up and they're necessary to talk about when managing someone's wealth when talking about their life goals when talking about life planning and so also, people like you fulfill the role of 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 the financial therapist if you will yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i got i got very excited about a, a thought of mine which is people just need to decide Without deciding, and that's, that's by the way, that's mostly why people can't decide on uh, the guardianship for their wills or the trustees of their trust or who should write the check or uh, trust for managing their money. It's, it's about, it's the reason they can't decide is because a, a few things, they don't know who to trust. Um, they, they, they they're afraid there's there's angst there's anxiety, there's feelings there right behind that non-decision that uncommittal moment in time there's this feeling that i try to get to very quickly i'm i'm one of those i've i've married my um my intuitiveness mm-hmm. with, with with the mathematics of financial planning if you will i've i've married them so i bad joke but you know they don't call me dear abby for nothing right like <laughs> very Great. bad joke i know but but it's true i i i enjoy this this psychological part the emotional part of why people make decisions and i think that you know someone could say oh uh, how did you how did you put away all that money and now it's now it's it's grown to this and how did who did you use and how did you do it and sure, anyone can tell you that, but at the end of the day, how you do it is you decide. Yeah. <laughs> decide. Well, I mean, so so what are some of the complexities in deciding or maybe some stories here? I imagine 
for instance, that husbands and wives coming together to discuss these things with you, um, they're maybe not on the same page. Uh, maybe there's a situation where I, I don't actually even know. The husband's built a very successful business, made the money. Um, they have kids. They have different ideas about how to parent this child. Uh, maybe one kind of spoils the child. The other feels like the child is too entitled. I mean, do these types of conversations, can we expect to have these types of conversations when meeting with people like you or when meeting with you? The, it's, it's funny. You rattled off a lot of examples and not one of them rattled me. Okay. Because I speak, <laughs> I speak about that stuff all the time. Right. And if, if you're looking for a specific example of, you know, what I heard from a couple about the differences and how they felt or, um, or a couple who, where one wants nothing to do with the finances and all the burdens put on the other person. There's a lot of different scenarios like this, but what I find that is universal is that I don't care how little or, or big you want to be involved in these kinds of decisions. When there's financial decisions being made in the household, it, it, it's something that you, you definitely speak about together. It's not mm -hmm. a, you know what I mean? It, yeah, sure. It, you have to, right? It's right. You just have to figure out how that, how that, how that works. And and I, I think that's, I think that what makes me unique in a way. Then because someone would say, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go there. They wouldn't think to go there. They wouldn't ask. They wouldn't know what to ask to even get there. So it would just be like, okay, see you later, bye. Mm -hmm. Opportunity, opportunity gone. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but what about intergenerationally? So I, I'm I work with a lot of family businesses, and there's a transfer. Typically, my clients are transferring from Gen One to Gen Two. Two. Um, it starts with transferring just some of the authority and decision making and the leadership, and um, that's a lot easier to do than to start transferring the equity in the in the real. Uh, in the in my clients who look at their business as a business first and a family second, um, they evaluate the value of the company and they do a, a transfer either through their lifetime gift tax exemption or maybe they there's a purchase um, or an earnout. These are difficult conversations, though I think for Gen One and Gen Two or intergenerational transfer it could be three and four, sorry, generations, but difficult conversations The the old style of decision-making was an authoritative authoritarian. This is what I'm going to do. The man made the decision um, that certainly changed. Uh, now it's the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, if they are together still um, making the decision. But now I think it's it's more opening up to where there's more transparency intergenerationally between the parents and the next gen. And I think these are difficult conversations. I mean, are you able to facilitate this kind of a dialogue? Is that 
some of the work that you do with your clients? Yes, I have fortunately been in the business long enough to have my Gen 1 clients. Now have I have my Gen 2 clients from my Gen 1 clients. Mm. And you know you're getting older than <laughs> And you know you're good. Also. If I go to Gen 3, then. <laughs> right, then you're really old. Wow. Been around or experienced. Uh, but what's important is that if there is a Gen 1 that wants Gen 2 to um, be the successor of their company, yes, of course, we discuss succession planning in great detail. And um, we open up the floor to, you know, the CPAs and the attorneys and the investment advisors and making sure that all of the documentation is correct. And, and of course, but when there's, but, but this is, this is a multi question um because there are people who you know it's poo poo to talk about money mm-hmm. um, and and then there gen 2 are taking care of gen 1 and gen 3 and we'll call that the sandwich years yes right and so yeah yes i speak to my clients about those sandwich years because you know th- they're just under those baby that what are they gen gen x i think they are um I think that's Pro- the generation. probably or millennials. I'm not sure. But millennials, I, I, I'm not sure either. But but they are in the thick of trying to take care of their elderly parents and pay for help and do all of that gabagook that that happens when people get older because it's it's almost like a Benjamin Button. They turn into children and stubborn mm-hmm. and. Oh my goodness gracious. And then you've got, you know, kids that they're still trying to, you know, put through college and that generation, that sandwich generation, it is when we work together, you know, do you have a long-term care policy? Do your parents have a long-term care policy? What kind of care, care caregiver court, what kind of conversations are you having? How can, so I, so I give them the tools to be able to ask the question to Gen 1 in a way that it it's Gen 1's idea. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always I always say start with have you considered? Because when mm-hmm. you say have you considered, then ask your question. Mm-hmm. Somehow it just turns into their idea. And it has to be their idea because they feel like they're losing control. And they are. Whether they're losing control of their business or their minds or their bodies, they're losing control in some capacity. And that's where the headbanging comes into play and 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 the ego and the pride. And when you understand things like that and you have tools and language that you can provide to clients to be able to talk through those tough and very difficult and emotional conversations, that's what really matters there, right? Giving them the tools to be able to communicate is something that um, I feel very strongly about. And I, and, and yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. Um, I also have clients who have um, a gen gen one client. They have uh, a gen two that does not want to get into their business, but is giving them millions and millions of dollars because the lifetime exemption is sunsetting up at the end of 2025. Mm-hmm. So our our uh, trust and estate attorneys and and us, we, we've been quite busy because people are transferring wealth. 
And when you transfer wealth, it becomes, you know, one of the questions that I always ask is, you know, how aware are they uh, of having all this money in their trust? How, what kind of conversations are you having surrounding that? Would you like some help? Would you like to have a meeting? Would you like to review? I have um, a, I have a review next week with a client, Gen 1, who um, um, his Gen 2 is a trustee of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I have been, you know, talking to my client and he's been begrudging, like really like giving me the Heisman, like, no, don't, you're not touching my, you're not speaking to anybody, not in such a way, but just hasn't addressed it. And finally I said, you know, this is complicated stuff. There's investment decisions, administrative decisions. There's, it, this is really complicated. And he's going to have a family of his own, a business to run. He's going to need some help. You might want to consider having a co, uh, you know, an institution. I recommended the institution as a co-trustee. It's in perpetuity, which caused Gen One to then go to Gen Two and say, "Hey, you know, get your shit together. It's like, we need to know what's going on here. You're going to be the trustee of this dynasty. Mm-hmm. You need to know." And so now Gen Two emerges, and it was my client's idea. You see how that works? Yeah, I do. I do. You know, it's a, I was just watching a season two trailer from Succession, which I would imagine you've probably seen. Oh, my God. Uh, I have not. Everybody tells me to watch it. Oh, I gosh. So past this birth of first yeah. and second. Episodes. Well, then we won't go into um, <laughs> detail on it, but uh, it's loosely based on Rupert Murdoch's family and his legacy. And Rupert Murdoch, who I I think is in his 90s, I forget how old he is, but he finally just passed the torch on to his adult child, who's, I think, in his 60s. And, I mean, it it shows you the control and the the power that this one individual um, wields in in the show. And it's quite a contested, uh, you know, it's an interesting show. I didn't like it. I found it pretty, the characters fairly despisable, um, but it shows you how contested authority, power, control, money, wealth, you know, can be and, you know, how difficult it is. And it, in my experience working with clients, I find that I see a full spectrum. I see a spectrum of people who are very generous and trusting of their children and want to pass the baton and they want to empower them and they um they don't feel like well my kid's going to throw me out of my home if i you know put it in a trust and turn it over to them uh that it would be a irrevocable trust i mean and then the other is the ones who are you know control tight fist kind of one i just described from succession uh the character being logan roy and doesn't relinquish anything. And I I think also what I find on a different dimension is that the person who has the ear, so the 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 confidant of you know the the trusted advisor or the quarterback in this can really vary. It could be the insurance person, it could be the accountant, it could be the lawyer, it could be the spouse. Um you know what business is done when there's timing and chemistry 
Yes. There is just no way around it. And so I count on it, right? Mm-hmm. The chemistry. The chemistry. By the way, a little factoid, and I think this is, I, I believe it is Rupert Murdoch. Um, I'll fact check this when we're done, but I believe he purchased millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of life insurance and put it into an irrevocable life insurance trust and spent every single penny during his lifetime. Wow. Or gave it away, whatever he did, but but died live. with nothing in his estate. Live rich, and, die poor. Huh? And the and the life insurance paid out income tax free and estate tax free. Can you get over that move? That's amazing. That's how crazy. brilliant! How brilliant is that? That's pretty crazy. I know it. I know it. Um, yeah, I I think what this I think a lot of what this industry, if we're going to talk holistically of just the industry and these particular situations that some of you our listeners might be going through or or pondering, there's all sorts of people in my industry in the life insurance industry, right? But there are very few like me. And the reason I say this is because, yes, I have been doing this a long time. And what I see are people that don't care about people. They just care about the, their pockets and the commissions they're making. And they're, they they don't understand the products and they're pushing products. They don't understand the pro- the, the, the problem. They, they push a solution. I it, it drives me bananas because... They're not, they're, you know, you sit there and say, you're giving the entire industry a bad name. On the other side, there's only a few of us out there that are really doing the right thing. And so maybe we stick out, right? So you're saying that more people are transactionally driven than relationally driven in your industry. I mean, it's not been my Uh, experience, but I don't buy, yeah, I don't tend to buy insurance products. Um, And and I think that relationship is primary. It comes first before I'm going to buy anything from somebody. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a big, big differentiator here. Um, okay. Just last week, um, our firm, Lennox Advisors, is we have a dedicated conservation team which conserves business. So if um, a client is, you know, somebody is traveling, they miss the the the, the premium notice or you know, whatever, they're, maybe they're sick or whatever. There are a lot of unintentional lapses that happen in our business and no one cares. Mm. But we have a team that really does. And so we make sure that the business stays on the books. And there was a gentleman who was uh, who called the, the insurance company and he couldn't get a he did get a hold of somebody, but they weren't really helping him. He was trying to get a hold of the of the agent. The agent happened to be me. I don't know why he couldn't get a hold of me. I'm I'm publicly listed. It didn't make any sense, but whatever. I got wind of this, and it turns out that he was going to cancel his policy because, you know, he couldn't get to the right person. And it turned out that he's actually needing to go on a claim. 
So let's, so person A, which is, I'm a person who's been disabled for a long time because I'm so proud. I don't want to put in a claim, but you know, I have this policy and I can't get anyone on the phone. So I'm going to cancel it. Now I'm really in need of money. I have no income. This guy could become homeless. Who knows? Right. I got a hold of him. I made sure we connected with him. I mean, I went so far as to go on LinkedIn to find him. And uh, whatever, we connected and I got it straight. And it turns out that I put him in touch with the head of claims at the, at the insurance carrier and, they're hol- and we're holding his hand mm. through a disability claim so that they can adjudicate it in, in a good amount of time, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. person B is someone who can stay in his home and who doesn't have to deplete his retirement assets at this age and can you know, pass along his assets to the next generation and deal with his disability and dignity versus person B who would have been SOL. Mm-hmm. And that is because of me and our team at Lennox Advisors. So is there something, let's just keep dive a little bit deeper into the insurance industry. There must be something that can be said that's very positive about some of the big insurance players because they've got a brand that they have to uphold and their brand is only as good, if you will, as their weakest links, their weakest agents. I mean, I would think the mass mutuals and Northwesterns and and New York Life and and probably there's others you would name. Those are the ones that come to my mind that these are companies that need to um, they need to make sure that their brand integrity stays intact and their their advisors are their brand on the street. You're right. And so but there's something often, broken. I often wonder if I often wonder if they want all the business off the books. Yeah, because then there's more money. I, I don't know. I, I just there's a distribution system, you're right. And that distribution system is it's not right. It's 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 broken. It's broken from lack of data, mm. uh, antiquated systems. But at Lennox, we don't have that. Our data is accurate. Our integrity is high. And our only mission is to make sure we're doing what's right for the client. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so tell yeah. us a little bit more about Lennox Advisors. Where are you based? Who are your oh, typical clients? Uh, yeah, so where, our, where you- our headquarters are uh, at 90 Park Avenue in New York City. That's mm-hmm. our headquarters. I was housed there for quite a while, and then I moved to Connecticut. And so now I'm located in our Stanford, Stanford Connecticut office. Okay. We have offices in Los Angeles, Chicago, and San Francisco. Okay. So I was actually instrumental in starting the San Francisco market. And our market are... Well, usually Wall Street executives, uh, um, hedge fund companies. We do executive where we are the best on the market with executive carve out programs. But our resume uh, stems from, you know, medium sized hedge funds to uh, worldwide headquarters and uh, very lar- large organizations that, that we handle as, as our corporate clients. And so through that corporate client relationship, we meet our executives that way. 
and build individual relationships. And so mm-hmm. that's how, how the seed gets started, if you will. And so some of the executive carve-out programs and employee benefits, we're talking about things like defined benefit plans. Yes, we can talk about deferred compensation programs. We can right. talk about um, uh, supplemental disability insurance, supplemental life insurance, things that are portable, things that people would be buying retail, but they have the option to buy it at a deep discount without any medical or financial underwriting. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are experts at that because instead of just throwing some brochure at somebody or some link and say, here it is, sign up, you know, we're actually in there meeting them, um, understanding them, educating them and teaching them, you know, what they can do to do better there and, and how important their company feels that they went out of their way and did their exhaustive due diligence to hire us to, to be that bridge for them. So in essence, we're actually helping, you know, HR, we're, we're an extension of them. Right. Um, and so, that those relationships are strong and there and there are many <laughs> and it's all over the country sounds great well abby's been great having you on the show today this is just the tip of the iceberg i imagine that your clients could talk to you and you could talk to them for hours um seem deeply passionate and compassionate and just let's just wrap this up with so you went through this personal experience that we didn't talk at all about with your father. And uh, that was probably pretty transformative. Um, how did that change your practice? It made me unapologetic to any response that I was giving out to people who didn't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm or who denied what would happen or it, it, I was unapologetic because it happened to me. Right. It could happen and I, to anyone. And I know what it feels like. And at the end of the day, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's wow. the only way. It is the only word. It just sucked. And, um, I have a whole new appreciation for the products that I show people because I know what it does. And if I had to worry about the money, it would suck even more. Right. I didn't have to worry about the money. So as you mentioned earlier, the only thing I was able to focus on was my dad loving him and, and, and our family. And that was the most important thing for him before he died. And that, that's in perpetuity for in my mind, sure, you know? Sure. And that's what money did. Yeah. So money can't buy happiness. No, no, it cannot. No. But it can take the drama out of any conversation. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And it sounded like it it really imbued your practice with a whole new dimension of understanding and empathy, which is so powerful. And it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for having me. You're, I really uh, enjoyed our conversation. Yes. And so if people want to find you, Lennox Advisors, you, you're, you can be found on LinkedIn. It's A-B-B-E, large, just like it sounds. 
um, and of course, uh, at the website. So, Abby, thanks for being on the show today. And folks, you know the drill. If you like this show, uh, please give us a good rating on your listening podcast application of choice and share this show with others. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.